Welcome to Connecting Healthcare IT, a podcast dedicated to bringing people together across the healthcare continuum. In each episode, our guests will share their take on a timely and relevant topic that we hope will bring value to our listeners. Today, we're joined by Shannon Larkin from Harmony Healthcare IT. Harmony is a data management firm that focuses on legacy records management, ultimately helping healthcare delivery organizations rationalize their software application portfolio. Thanks for joining us, Shannon. Thank you for the invite, Stephanie. I appreciate being here. Great. So with all of the consolidation and the system transitions that are happening in healthcare, legacy data management is certainly a topic worth discussing. Today, I thought we could cover some um, discussion around legacy systems in general, options for managing historical data, and then some of the benefits for decommissioning out of production software. So to get started, could you share a little bit with me about some of the drivers that might cause a hospital to reach out to Harmony for help? Sure. That's a great place to start. I think the main engagement trigger for us is system replacement, right? So there are a variety of reasons why a healthcare organization might decide to move from one software application to another. Um, you know, first, they may not be satisfied with the performance of that EHR. So, you know, a site is going to move from Allscripts to Cerner or from Cerner to Epic. Um, it may be that they're on an upgrade plan. So, Perhaps there's a Meditech client server or magic site that's moving to Meditech Expanse, which is a major, um, you know, a major upgrade for them. It could be that they have an application that's being sunset. Um, you know, when McKesson phased out Horizon Patient Folder and moved to Paragon, or oh, one I can think of is Greenway had a success EHF, EHS. I'm sorry, which. Um, came to end of life. So we had a lot of community health centers or rural health clinics that were calling when success EHS, you know, was no longer supported. So those are, you know, some of the reasons. I think the main reason is merger and acquisition. So there are so many hospitals and practices, like you said, consolidating. And when that happens, they just need to rationalize their technologies and decide, you know, which system to use moving forward. So no matter the driver, I think the question just becomes, what do we do with all this data? And that presents this decision point where you need to decide, are we going to migrate it or will we archive it? So that's not always an easy crossroads for an organization to be at, I assume. Um, So what do they migrate? When do they migrate it? What methodology should they use? What role does Harmony play in helping to answer some of these difficult questions? Yeah, so we typically play a very active role in that discussion. You know, we like to say whatever the legacy data needs, we get it done. So we're definitely a part of the data conversation when it comes to its life cycle. So the first part of that is extraction. You know, it seems like a simple question, but on occasion that can pose quite a challenge. You know, that the um, legacy system may have been hosted and there might be an issue getting to the data. They could have encrypted files or proprietary formats that just aren't easily extractable. You know, not not all of them are just an easy SQL database. So extraction is the first part of it. And then migration, like you mentioned, you know, migration or conversion to the go-forward system. You know, how are we going to get that data to Epic or Cerner, whatever we're moving to? So we are a large part of that discussion, we talk to them about what will be converted. It's usually the PAMI data, problems, allergies, medications, immunizations, oftentimes discharge or summary notes, 
procedures. So whatever it might be, we decide how far back are we going to go? And then where do we want to put it, you know, in Epic? Um, and then the last part of it is retention. You know, the question of how are we best going to store the rest of the data that doesn't get migrated? And there's a lot governing that. There is record retention law, you know, at a federal level. With HIPAA, there are state-level regulations on how long you need to store data. And then even, you know, like agency regulations based on the medical specialty or the type of facility that it is. So we decide that we're going to save it. We kind of talk about, you know, what users are going to need to access this data. And then there are different use cases for the data. And that might range from single sign-on for clinicians to release of information workflows for the HIM team or even collections for the revenue cycle team. So it's really interesting that you mentioned RevCycle as a possible use case because that's not something that would be top of mind for me when we're talking about data archiving. How does that factor in? Yeah, no, that's a fair comment. I mean, some people might think of archiving simply as a compliance move, you know, like, hey, I need to store this for the next 10 or 20 years. And so I'm just going to toss it into cold storage. And that's when it's important to really talk about the difference between an active archive and an inactive archive. So the difference between the two would be that an active archive is one with a user interface, right? So there would be like unlimited users in our case for our offering the users are all role-based, so there are role-based access controls and workflows by user type. Um, and they're just going to daily need to access the data that's stored um, and follow workflows. So RevCycle comes into play there. So it could be that you have an old you know, billing or RevCycle system and you're ready to replace it, but you haven't collected all of the accounts receivable. So you need an archive where you can store that data but also work on these transactions to collect on the information that's in there. So, so that's an example of active archiving. Um, we need to collect on this accounts receivable through transaction posting. We need to keep the interfaces intact so that we can still use our lockbox. We can send out patient statements. We can send claims through a clearinghouse and through the scrubber. So that's an example of an active archive. I also mentioned the HIM team. You know, maybe it's all clinical data that you're going to archive. You don't have RevCycle data. Well, the HIM team is still going to need to get at that data for release of information. So there are built-in workflows or features into the archive that allow them to do that. So that might include batch printing, um, templates so they can print all or part of the chart um, addenda because maybe, just maybe, something was documented wrong in the original source system, and there's a need to addend the you know stored file in the archive. So we give an ability to do that, or to make notes or comments, purge records. So there are a lot of things that have to happen after the information is stored. So that's active archiving. Now the opposite of that is is what we call inactive archiving, which is probably a little bit more like cold storage, right? There's no user interface. There aren't unlimited users in the business that are tapping into the archive. It might just be a tech technical analyst who accesses that 
data store maybe once a year or once every three years, right? They might just need a file copy. Or in some cases, we do all of that, but we set up maybe an ODBC connection so they could report on the data. But it's not like they're doing release of information, winding down AR as they would in an active archive. So that was a lot to define the two, but I think that active archiving is really critical enterprise data that needs to be stored and utilized by the business. And an inactive archive would be that less critical enterprise data, you know, that is kept more in a, in a raw data format or just for disaster recovery or compliance. Well, thank you for making the distinction between active and inactive archive storage. That's really important. And I appreciate the use case around active archiving for revenue cycle because that has such an impact on accounts receivables, um, you know, for collections and, and health systems don't want to pay high maintenance fees to a legacy vendor for a full production billing system. Um, the HIM workflows also make a lot of sense for releasing information. So why on the topic of releasing information, with all of the regulatory requirements that have come down as part of the 21st Century Cures Act, how does that impact the archiving side of the business? I guess we could break it down into a couple of different reasons why. Um, the first would be information blocking. So, you know, the Cures Act calls for a reduction in the ability to um, extract the data like we talked about early, earlier, right? Like no information should be blocked from the provider getting it. So some of the reasons I mentioned earlier, like, hey, it's hosted, there are proprietary formats, or we have encrypted file types within the data set, that is a form of information blocking. So um, with the Cures Act, EHR vendors are going to be required to provide a usable export of all their patient records when a provider makes a system transition like we're talking about. Um, so that's an important part of it um, because today they're just required to give a usable and readable format. And that's not always something that can be used, you know, readily when we're talking about migration or archival. So the information blocking part of the Cures Act are, is going to allow providers to switch EHRs just a little bit more easily and completely and get that full patient narrative, you know, transferred to the archive. The second aspect is the consumer access part of it. So the question becomes for the provider, how far back do you go for the release of information to fulfill the consumer request for a copy of their record? And there are two things that an active archive, if you do it the right way, there are two ways that that will support consumer access. The first is that when you archive the data, you're doing it as discrete data storage um, because then you could take those records and all of the values for lab results or whatever. And through industry standards, you could send the record off, you know, through a fire transaction or HL7. And then also, I think with patient matching, you can make sure that you're sending it to the right person when the record comes from the archive. So those are two important parts of that and how you're storing the data. Um, and then as I think through it, I think the last part of the Cures Act and how it's impacting archiving would be interoperability. So the Cures Act calls for just more interoperability in healthcare. And once you break down the data silos and consolidate your legacy data stores into an active archive, there's just a host of use cases 
for utilizing that discrete data, and especially if it's codified or normalized into you know a common schema. So you could take that data and share it with pop health applications, or you could de-identify your data for use by research teams. You could do reporting and analytics. There's just a lot that can be done with that. It sounds like it. So when the clinician is looking back into the legacy records, what kind of interaction would he or she need to have with that data? And and could you give me examples of some of the types of data they might want to pull from the legacy system? Yeah, yeah. Clinician, definitely an important persona to talk about. So um, the key clinical data for clinicians is usually migrated, you know, in the form of that PAMI data that we talked about. But depending on the presentation of the patient, access to this fuller clinical narrative that got archived may be needed. So for example, an oncology patient, you may want to go back a few years into their record and see the fuller record. Or, you know, I don't know, maybe the patient is presenting with some sort of mental health issue where, you know, looking a few years back to see what else they had been seen for or what sorts of things were in the record might be very appropriate for the clinician. So with all of that in mind, let's say you've got a clinician seeing a patient and They're on Epic and they have archived data. So they would just sign into Epic and then there would be a button so that they could access the historical record. So we call that in-context single sign-on. And we do that for more than I mentioned Epic because so many sites are on Epic, but we do that for Epic, Cerner, Allscripts, Athena, uh, Meditech, NextGen. I mean, there's a whole host of single sign-ons that we've done with our archiving product to make that available. So it's just very fluid for the doctor to be seeing a patient in stream and then access that historical chart. So they can then sort and filter because it's discrete data that's archived. Like I mentioned earlier, they can sort and filter on medications or lab results. They can pull up flow charts from the historical record. You know, if it's pediatrics, they could pull up a growth chart because it's just all discrete data. So really reportable and searchable. And I guess the only other thing I would mention for clinicians is that we're also storing DICOM images. So there's a viewer where you could even look at diagnostic quality images if you're a clinician. So access to those historical patient records at the time of care can certainly improve patient care Um, But what about the archival of other types of legacy records? We talked about patient, clinical, and financial data. Are there other types of data that Harmony is migrating and archiving for their health system clients? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's really no record type is out of bounds when it comes to archiving because we have such an open architecture. So really, if it's data in a system, in a healthcare delivery organization, we will definitely work with it. So uh, what is what is an example? I would say employee data is one that we see a lot. So we do a lot of, you know, payroll, W-2 information. Um, there might be a time and attendance system for nurses or, you know, any kind of employee information where you're storing, what, drug testing or OSHA records or, you know, f- family medical leave records. That's all stored. And if they move from one you know, HR system to another, we can certainly store those records. Um, Another example would be just business data or any kind of data that comes from your ERP system. So materials management, maybe there are some general ledger records. 
accounting systems data, you know, we do it all, I would say, to, in answer to your question. Well, it sounds like it. Um, and, and it sounds like that's mostly for hospitals, but are you working with other um, health providers like outpatient clinics or pharmacies to archive their data? Yeah, we do. We work um, with clinics and pharmacies, um, specialty pharmacies, retail pharmacies. It's really anywhere patients are seen, you know, there's a record of the care and we can archive that. So, you know, dental records, um, that's an area that we've moved into there. And we moved into it because there are a lot of um, federally qualified health centers that see, you know, indigent populations or underprivileged patients where they're coming for medical care and also for dental care. And so there are systems that you know, are storing both of those information. So that's kind of how we got into dental when we were, you know, archiving for FQHCs. And so now we do archival for dentists, you know, straight up. Um, correctional facilities, you know, prisons, they are patients too. There are EHRs to manage that care. And we've done archival work there. Um, just trying to think of some other examples. I would say student health centers, you know, college campuses um, is a, another big place. And then any kind of anything in the space of long-term care, just post-acute hospice, home health. Um, and another big area where we have actually archived is blood banks. You know, there are very specific FDA requirements around the collection of blood and blood products. So the record keeping is very detailed so we've moved into that and have done quite a bit with um, with blood bank storage. That's great coverage for legacy records management across the healthcare continuum. How long has Harmony been working in this really niche space of active archiving? Yeah, I mean it's been it's been about fifteen years. It's definitely a team that's been together for a long time. Um, we're really dedicated to this space. Uh, you know, there were quite a few of us that had been in electronic health records for most of our careers, and we came together to specifically, you know, get into this niche area with archiving. So very mission-driven, and, you know, over that 15-year period have definitely seen a lot of source systems to archive, and it just equates to hundreds of billions of rows of data, you know, millions of records, petabytes of data. So we've been doing it for quite some time. That is so impactful. And, and you've touched a lot of patient lives over that time. So when it comes to retaining this historical data, um, a hospital system or, or a healthcare organization of any kind could just leave the records in the legacy system. What are your thoughts around that type of strategy? And are there any concerns with it? Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, they could just, they could leave it and sort of go status quo. It really just comes down to cost and risk. So if you leave the data in its original system, you also need to continue to get support on that software and just maintain it. And there are costs involved with doing that. You know, there are maintenance contracts with that legacy vendor. And also if you have multiple systems, you're keeping that data siloed into multiple databases. So it's it's data consolidation, it's cost, it's also risk. There's there's a risk of downtime because the environment may become unstable. You know, your hardware could become out of date and that just brings security vulnerabilities into play. Um, 
So that's another thing to consider. I would also mention compliance with, you know, regulatory requirements. We talked a lot about the 21st Century Cures Act and how archiving could support that. Um, And then there's also just the record retention mandates that you do need to secure that data. So leaving it in the old systems may not be the most secure option. And the act of archiving, like we talked about it, just creates this ease of access to the data for those that are going to depend on it, like we talked about, you know, the clinical team, the HIM team, and the RevCycle team. Right. We talked earlier about the active archive. Um, So what are some of the key benefits of using an active archive versus a siloed approach of keeping the records in legacy systems? Yeah, it's, it's really just consolidating that data so that you reduce the maintenance costs. If you put an archive in, on average, you're going to see a return within 18 to 24 months. It just depends what you were paying to that legacy vendor. But there is a level of effort for us to extract the data and migrate it into the archive just to get the archive configured and set up and rolled out to your users. But usually within a two-year time frame, you're definitely going to see a return on that investment as opposed to leaving it up with the originating legacy vendor. So, um, And then also when we shut down those legacy EHRs, we're bringing the audit trail over. So it's not just the data or the patient information. It's also audit trails about the users in the legacy system who access those records and when. So it's, it's a very full you know, consideration of what's coming over and what you need in order to be compliant with record retention law. And then, you know, really in the end, it's just about simplified data access. I mean, if you have 10 or 12 legacy systems and you can consolidate it into one place and you've got single sign-on for your clinicians and you can report on it and do analysis, you know, you're just making it easier on everyone. Well, given the regulatory requirements and the need for patients to have access to their information and just you know, day-to-day patient care, it seems like an obvious uh, need for any health system to implement a data legacy management system. And um, if they're heading down that path, where would they start? Like, what would you recommend sort of as a strategy for moving forward with um, getting underway with such, a, with such an approach? Yeah, I think they start just by taking a look at their system inventory. And I say that like it's really easy to do. It sounds like it is. For a lot of really large enterprises, that is quite an undertaking just to really take stock of how many systems you've got going at once. I think there was a HIMSS report that showed that the average hospital has about 18 EHRs running at one time. So if if a large enterprise like that moves to Epic and Epic starts to displace everything, you know, there's there's quite a job for a company like ours to come in and do to say what are we going to migrate, what are we going to archive, how are we going to stage it, when is it going to happen. So step 1, they need to understand what they have. And when I say 18, I'm I'm talking about EHRs only. And I would also say that for some of the really large health systems that we work with, there are far more than 18 or 20 systems. It's in the hundreds, and we take multiple years working with them to decommission these systems and bring them down in a way that makes sense to kind of line up with their legacy vendor 
contract dates and, you know, AR wind down and just a myriad of things. So number one, figure out what your inventory is. Number two, work with um, either a consulting firm or a firm like ours where we can come in and help create a priority for what to bring down when. And then also it's important for that provider organization to bring in their key stakeholders and form a data governance team if one isn't there already to say, what legacy data do we have? What are we going to migrate? What are we going to archive? How are we going to archive it? What's important? You know, how are we meeting our retention guidelines and our destruction guidelines, you know, for purging records or destroying them once the retention has been met? So there's, it's, it's quite a big job, but it's also, it's also one that can be simplified with the right level of guidance, like I say, from a firm like ours or a consulting firm that works on helping to decommission. And there's quite a few of them out there. So um, active archiving is obviously a relevant topic to our audience who are, are working to better understand the importance of managing their data long term. Um, so we appreciate you joining us to cover some of the drivers that are causing hospitals and health systems to take action with their legacy systems and some of the benefits that getting that data into an active archive can bring them. So Shannon, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate you taking the time to be part of Connecting Healthcare IT. And to our audience, thank you for listening and join us next time for more meaningful discussion around best practices in healthcare.